Kusini is a Kiswahili term meaning South. Kusini is the media initiative of SCIS, the Southern Center for Inequality Studies, a research and policy center based at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa. The SCIS is an interdisciplinary inequality research unit working with partner institutions in South Africa and across the world with a focus on the global south. In the first episode, we looked at a brief history of work detailing the shift from home-based work to factory-based work and then back to homework driven by technological shifts and the COVID-19 lockdown. We discussed the challenges faced by home workers, the growing precarity that it creates and arising from its isolating nature, the challenges it poses for the organization of workers in ensuring that labor rights, which go hand in hand with human rights, are upheld. My name is Vigile Masigani. And I will be your host for the second and final episode as we shift focus to imagine what the future of work could look like. We discuss some of the issues likely to be encountered by workers and managers, including infrastructure constraints, the challenge to maintain an equitable work-life balance, and changing business models to remain profitable. However, these challenges are not new and have always existed. The sudden shift to homework and the sheer proportion of workers is what has raised them to the fore again. Due to COVID-19 and the imposed lockdown, more people than ever are working from home. However, could we be completing a circle and returning to homework as the new norm? For many, this shift has been sudden and far from ideal as some lack the necessary infrastructure to accommodate such a transition. Namely, many lacked access to the internet and a designated working space. In addition, other workers find their social interaction fragmented as others were forced to balance productive work with care responsibilities. In reality, some tasks are only partially suitable to be performed at home while others cannot be undertaken from one's place of residence. This then highlights some of the limits of the spatial reorganization and domestication of work. Yet, as mentioned in the first episode, working from home is not new, and an estimated 18% of the workforce could be working from home across developing countries. Women, in particular, have been working from home while balancing care responsibilities. This then begs the question, does the recognition and attention that has been given to this homework highlight the class divide? Could it be that unions and even governments are paying more attention to the exploitation and increased precarity that comes with working from home because a growing number of the middle class has now shifted to working from home? Is this further evidence of a gender and class divide in the South African labour market? It depends on who you are. And your the, the advantage and disadvantage will be determined by, firstly, whether you're a man or a woman, 
gender. It depends on the nature of your job, whether you're a high-skilled professional or a, a, a relatively unskilled, low-paid worker. It depends, in other words, on, on your gender, on, on, on your class, as to how you would, would answer that question. So from a point of view of a woman who is uh, working from home, I think the first the advantage would be that you have access to your children and your family, and that, that, that can be a plus, but can also be a great tension in the work-life balance because you you may find yourself having to play this dual role of being a mother and being a worker and you may find it very stressful and and demanding so i think it, it, it in a way you know the advantage and the disadvantage depend a bit on the social characteristics of the person we're talking about working from home it 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 it, it saves you uh, transport costs. I mean, th th that can be a major factor. Because, you know, we here in South Africa, people spend a significant amount of their income on transport. And you find that the trains not run because they're dysfunctional and people use the taxi and the taxi is more expensive. So you may end up spending 20% of your salary on travel. Now, working from home is a great cost saver then, both in terms of travel, because you may spend, you may find yourself two or three hours a day traveling back and forth. You are, are able to, to spend time with your family. And, you know, instead of having to say, my daughter is sick and therefore I can't come to work today, I have to look after her and take her to hospital, you, you're at on site. You can engage in this care work. And also, a third advantage is that it can be seen as safer. You, you, you're in a sheltered space, you're at home, you're not subject to any possible harassment or um, any possible uh, hijacking or anything of that kind. So there are many advantages for working people from it. On the other hand, what seem, there seems to be uh, a lot of... Um, psychological stress that emerges from a number of studies that I've looked at where people feel that working on your own with a lack of social interaction with other people not only is it lonely because you're, you're isolated it seems as if people become very anxious and even have an impact on their self-esteem. I think that would be, for me, one of the key, uh, the first key um, uh, problem. Uh, it, it, and it, it, it can, in close contact with people over time, it can lead to tension between partners. And one partner may feel that 
the one is working all the time, and so there's tension between them. So it creates, it brings the factory, if you like, into or the office into the workplace, and brings in those those kinds of tensions. But I think there's a there is a there is a, a number of um, there, is a, there is a second problem, I think, about working from home. So the one is kind of like socio-psychological, okay? The, the, the second one is that points to the fact that people actually overwork. They actually work longer hours because they don't quite know when to stop. You know, if you if you go from home to work, so your office is where you work, your home is where you relax. How do you relax at the end of the working day if you at if home and work are the same place? When when do you relax? So you feel like there is to, to go back to the work life balance. It starts to blur the boundaries between work and 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 and, and pleasure and leisure. And so people actually the studies have shown that people actually worked higher. There was a study of a of of a. a a, a travel company in the US and they found that there was a 15% increase in worker output. Working from home tends to to be more uh, uh, favorable to professional and managerial people. And people at the lower end of the skill get left behind. And one of the most interesting things is 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 therefore the difference between those households that are electronically uh, developed and those that are not. So if you're working from home and, and you've got internet connection and reliable electricity, then you can carry on as normal. In fact, you can you can you can increase your output. You can increase your skills. You can get ahead of the game if you're a student or if you're a worker. However, if you don't have connectivity, you'll slip behind. So in other words, I think working from home can deepen inequality in South Africa. Just to, to illustrate my point, although 56% of South Africans have internet access, only 11% have it at home. Do you get the significance of that? So if we're going to think about uh, the future, then uh, 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 the implications, you have to think about ways of dramatically increasing internet access across the population as a whole. The shift of the home being the workplace under these conditions also means that workers are working longer hours, often with no break. Many people speak about this working from home as involving working longer hours. People are now living at work as they are constantly working. We spoke with Professor Emeritus Barry Dowletsky of the Jobic Center for Software Engineering. It's been a huge challenge for me because I'm the kind of person who usually does find it hard to draw a line between work and non-work. And when one um, comes home, there's a physical change of location, there is a sense of work has ended. Weekends tend to be weekends because you're visiting people and doing things and 
you do social things. In this lockdown world, there's absolutely no difference between the pace of our household during working time and non-working time. So work just flows into everything. And for the first month or two, I was working uh, twice the number of hours that I worked uh, before lockdown. Um, And I was starting to feel burnt out. I was starting to really feel uh, the strain of doing that. So I've tried very consciously to give myself weekends, uh, read a novel or do something that's very unwork-like, or get onto Zoom calls with friends and and just have a social Zoom call. But it is um, very hard to draw that that boundary between work and non-work. So that's the uh, downside. The challenges that are faced by workers who are now working from home also affect the managers and supervisors who must monitor and keep companies running, with all the challenges in order to save livelihoods and jobs. Dr. Jean Leger, CEO of Fescu, talks about the challenges the company faced with the shift to home working. When I saw COVID coming at the beginning of the year, well, sort of going into February, I cancelled some of my overseas trips to see customers around the world. Um, And as it got closer, we started doing experiments with all the staff who could. So anybody whose work could be done at home. Uh, In other words, they weren't running a uh, factory machine. Every one of those people, we set them up to work at home. And we had dry runs at home so they could actually... uh, see what the problems were going to be. Was it going to be internet? Was it going to be no power? You know, so we could fix up all those different things. And then, of course, the lockdown struck us. All South Africans will have to stay at home. My day changed dramatically. Uh, I've had to develop new habits. What it's meant is that my working day is much, much longer than it used to be. Um, because it's so hard to stay in touch. So we have a bit over 100 staff members, um, and I have to stay personally in touch with a lot of those people. Um, And we have customers all around the world, and uh, we have sales offices all around the world. Uh, And one also needs to try and get exercise in this time. Um, So... What my typical day will be now is maybe half past seven or eight o'clock. I will go for a walk. I will take my phone with me and a notebook. I might have prepared a little agenda beforehand, and I'll start making calls. I'll call New Zealand. I'll call Australia. Um, I will call the uh, any issues arising on those calls. Uh, We will have conference calls with whoever in South Africa is involved with that. My day will go until easily 9, 10 o'clock, maybe 11 o'clock. So, yeah, it's really extended the working day dramatically. Uh, But we're very lucky. Our business is still going. We've just had to work certainly 30 to 50% harder just to stay where we were before. The shift from home-based work to the factory also changed the regulation of work by the employers. 
Work was no longer task-based, as it were, but it rather became time-based. Workers were regulated by the time put in at work as opposed to the tasks completed. How do managers monitor and supervise remote workers? I have not got a clue. One simply doesn't know. If people don't want to work, there's absolutely, you've got no visibility, we've got no visibility. Uh, you know, you can get programs if you want to that provide a kind of computer monitoring and so on. Well, you know, if you are serious as a manager and you're doing creative things and, and you know, we don't have the time to do that kind of stuff. We've got too many crises all the time. There's just not the time to do that. No doubt we'll see in the long term that certain people don't pull their weight. Like a salesperson, if you're just not seeing any sales, we're going, to, we're going to have to say, we're sorry, we're going to have to make a new plan here. And then I've had other people who were just not achieving anything. And, and I mean, they're serious people, but I think they were distracted by, because there's so much information coming on. They've probably got TVs running at home. They're nervous. They're worried about their families. They're worried about their salaries. Uh, somebody in the family's already been, probably like the wife has been retrenched. So suddenly the husband's income is all there is. And uh, it was very important that they had both incomes. So, and I had to say to them, you know, either you do something differently, but we can't carry on like this because it's clear that nothing's being achieved. Um, and they'd say to me, well, what, what must I do? And I said, I'm sorry, I have not got a clue what you must do. This is a circumstance which none of us have ever faced. You've got to work it out. Um, so they've been really difficult calls. Um, fortunately, uh, where that has happened, we've seen a great improvement. Uh, and I've still got to have some hard conversations with some other colleagues who are just not doing enough. Given the nuances to who can work from home and what types of jobs will survive such a shift, what will the future of work look like? It appears, then, that the future of work will follow a hybrid model, with those workers whose jobs can be significantly undertaken from home and those with the necessary infrastructural requirements working remotely. In terms of getting the work done, I can see very little reason to go back to the way I worked before. To even think now of getting on a plane, flying to, to London or to New York, for a one or two day meeting and then flying home again seems crazy. I can't imagine doing that. And I think the people that I would be meeting would also think it's crazy to do that because the quality of the interactions, as I said, is just as good as if I were face to face. So I think that um, there, there could be rare occasions where I have to go and visit someone. We're doing work with people in um, uh, Uganda, and I was intending to spend a, spend a lot of time this year going to Uganda. And I would still probably go once or twice just to see what's happening on the ground, but most of the training and activity we do, we'll do remotely. So I don't think we'll go back fully to where we were before. Uh, the flip side of the coin is, one about how you monetize what you do. So uh, when you run a course or a conference or you run a 
one-day workshop and you bring people into a room, there's a lot of um, huffing and puffing around it and people perceive value in what you do. So if you have people coming to a center at WITS and you are um, kind of hosting them and doing presentations and breaking for lunch and this and that, and you charge uh, people to attend, that's perceived as value. If you condense that whole day into a two-hour uh, Zoom call, uh, people don't see that, see that amount of value in it. We've been um, trying as well to do our, some of the mini conferences we run as webinars, and we've tried to charge for them, and people won't pay. If you say there's a price for it, people uh, don't register. If you say it's free, get lots of people. And I think it might be a transitory thing or permanent, but there's so much stuff available free through um, these online platforms now that to charge for anything, you are really struggling. So the, the problem I'm sitting with my center is how we bring money in to run the center. We used to run a one-day workshop, uh, um, charge a few thousand rand, have 20 people, and that would uh, be a good lump of our monthly income. Uh, now it's very hard to see where that money is going to come from. This hybrid model of remote work is further confirmed by Dr. Jean Leger. I think we see both. We, we will work with people who are not based at the factory or at our sales office in Johannesburg, because it actually doesn't matter where they are. We already had, for example, our website and our computer stuff. Um, that uh, the website, we have a person at the coast who designs it. So that was something that was already happening before uh, COVID. When you're dealing with the New Zealand market, you have to start phoning at 11 o'clock at night. And you, you call from 11 o'clock at night to maybe 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, and that's what we are having, to, are having to do. And then I have other colleagues who basically start their work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, 3 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're calling America till 12 o'clock at night. So we've got these two extremes. So for those people to service those markets, it's actually better for them to work from home because – they can't go into an industrial area where security at night is very dangerous and it's just too dangerous for them to work at night in these, um, in these areas. So in, a, in that sense, it is an advantage that they, and we were already doing that to some extent for the night part of that work, but it's really just uh, exaggerated. So it, it's changed that. So I, I, it's, my kind of gut feel is it's half and half. It means that we can work with people from anywhere in the world. We're not dependent on them having to be either in Johannesburg or at our factory in the Free State. A lot has been written about the impact of the technological shifts to the future of work. This, coupled with economic implications of COVID-19, will be profound both globally and in the Global South in particular. 
This impact will differ in ways that are magnified by existing inequalities for groups such as those with low skills, the underemployed, and other marginalized groups. Such significant technology and pandemic-driven shifts reveal existing fault lines as well as who society cares the most about and who it often ignores. I've written a lot and thought a lot in the past about this notion of digital transformation and how uh, we transform the world based on digital. And there have been many obstructions to digital transformation. And uh, what the pandemic has done is it's proven to people who would normally not have transformed uh, that a transformation is indeed quite easy. So I think that it'll be hard, once the genie is out the bottle, I don't think we'll easily go back to an undigital or pre-digital existence. So I think these tools and platforms will become pervasive. And I think there's going to be a lot of kind of um, um, innovation around the use of these tools that'll make them more streamlined for particular activities. So we've seen things like the medical profession, who I've um, kind of now had several consultations with my GP uh, via the, a Zoom call. And it, it works, but it's not the optimal way to have a medical examination. If there were uh, sensors attached to your phone or your computer, and your uh, GP could check your heart rate and uh, do some tests via Zoom, uh, that would make that telemedicine engagement better. And I think we, we've seen, and we're going to see more and more, the specialized medical version of Zoom. So I think there will be a lot of innovation that will entrench this technology further. What this pandemic has done in many, many, many dimensions has thrown up the extent of inequality in our society. I know uh, people working at WITS who uh, do not have a, a, a good uh, fiber optic link at home and all the devices and, and a good place to work, uh, a good space to work, are really, really struggling with this work from home. So I think my kind of scenario, to be very honest, is quite personal. I think it works well for me. But I think that I can even think of close colleagues at WITS who are finding it very difficult because they don't have the connectivity, they don't have the devices, they don't have the quiet space that I've got to work. And they would, would jump at the opportunity to be back at, at the office work in there. So I think we are in this, this kind of conundrum of that um, the, the kind of inequality is being really thrown up in sharp contrasts. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the, the, the things I would hope, and, and government has kind of said of uh, that we, we won't go back to the old normal. 
I think if, if they're serious about that, they'll give a lot of attention to the digital divide and how we narrow or we eliminate it because that will move the country forward in, in many, many ways. And I think it's, it's, it's the kind of grand project that our country should look at in terms of digital connection now. It's doable. There's been uh, pieces written about Vietnam, for example, where they've been on a massive connectivity drive. And it's lifted the whole economy just by uh, giving everyone a cheap and reasonable connection. Further constraints to working from home include mass load shedding. ESCOM, a public utility company responsible for the generation and supply of electricity in South Africa, has been faced with capacity issues and has been forced to provide rotational electricity supply to limit the load on the generational plant. Few homes are equipped with generators and alternative power sources, such as wind and solar, which further limits ability to work and overall productivity. In the hybrid model of the future of work, it is worth noting that certain occupations and types of work will not shift to places of residence and will continue to be undertaken at formal or designated places of work. The first point to make is that not everyone can work from home. If you're a bus driver or taxi driver, you know, you you can't work from home. If you are a nurse or doctor, you can't work from home. You know, if you you are a a, a shop assistant and a retailer, you can't work from home. So roughly speaking, uh, it's possible, and there was a study done in the U.S., now, during the lockdown, and the study found that of the total population, 42% uh, were working from home. 32% were not working at all. They were unemployed. Uh, and 26% were, were, were classified as essential work. So I think the, the, I think the, 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 the lesson I'm taking from this is that it, the two points. The first is that We'll never reach a situation that everyone works from home. It's not, it's a fantasy uh, that there's always going to be a situation where you're going to need places where people gather together to, uh, to work. That, that, that's because that, that, there are certain jobs, a construction site, for example, you know, that, that, that can't be. So I don't think we should get into this kind of um, imaginary idea that everyone works from home. There's always there's going to be people who are going to have to, to leave home and work elsewhere. That's, that's um, uh, the, the first point to, uh, uh, to, to emphasize. I think the, the, the second one is that it seems as if uh, maybe the best uh, way of thinking about our future is to think of it in terms of uh, part-time work at home. Some of the studies have shown that initially, there's, you know, working from home is a kind of honeymoon period where it seems quite fun and exciting and opt- optimal, productive. But after maybe th- two or three months, people start to experience this sense of, of anxiety, of, of isolation. Uh, and, and they say, really want to, want to get back to work. We want to meet our colleagues. Because don't forget 
and, and this gets to the core of the question here, that um, uh, um, that people work not only for economic reasons, it's also a social function. It brings people together and it gives you a sense of purpose and structure. If you take that away, people get a sense of, you know, what, what we call in uh, sociology anomie, of a, a, lo a, loss, a loss of meaning in life, a, a loss of purpose in life, a loss of regulation, a loss of control. So I think that there's, there's a sociological reason why I think there are limits to working, uh, working from home. Technology isn't neutral. We've, we've had the capacity to work from home for at least two decades. Only 5% of people are working from home at the time of the lockdown in South Africa, about 5%. The reason why why we we uh, decided to um, work from home wasn't a technological decision. The reason why we're working from home is not to do with technology. That's not determining it. What's determining it is the COVID nineteen. It's a social issue, and you know, in so it's, a, it's what drives technology uh, is are these broader social forces. So the question ultimately is that technology and this this piece of technology that we are using now is brilliant. It's extraordinary. And it has the capacity to increase productivity, increase human connectivity across the globe instantly. Amongst. This is a wonderful innovation. And the history of capitalism is the history of growing technological, starting with the, you know, the train, the steam engine, electricity, uh, the, uh, the telephone. All of these are ways of accelerating communication between people. But the key point is that, you know, is, is, is it's up to us as human beings to decide, well, well, what would be the most socially beneficial way of answering the question, should we work at home? And my answer to that question is yes. I think that what uh, uh, COVID-19 has taught us and working from home with, with the technology we have now, it's possible to have much greater communication across through remote work, but it's not a substitute for people spending time together. If you take away that collective part of it, you take part of what makes us human, what makes us social beings. What is apparent is that the future presents a hybrid work model with some workers working remotely some of the time and others being based at the office fully. Data on the scope, size and conditions of home-based work in South Africa is still minimal. Whether the COVID-19 crisis continues or not, home-based work may well become the next terrain of worker struggle. We hope this has been an educative, and thought-provoking experience. Thank you for joining us on this discussion. This two-part series linking the history of work and the shifting nature of work driven by the COVID-19 pandemic and other technological shifts was brought to you by the Southern Center for Inequality Studies with sponsorship from Friedrich Ebert Stifter, South Africa. I have been your host, Figile Masigane.
Thank you for listening to Kusini, a media initiative of SCIS. For more about us and our work, please follow us on Twitter at vits underscore SCIS and our website is www.vits.ac.za forward slash SCIS. This episode is available on IONO FM and across other podcast channels.